we back and we back and we back. This ain't no intro. It's the entree. We turn in Thursdays into a party. And that's all I got. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows at the changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. And now on to the show. Should I attribute Chance the Rapper or should I just act like I made that all up? I think you should attribute Chance the Rapper in the spirit of open source. Very good. Thank you, Chance, for those wonderful rhymes that I uh, killed and then co-opted for JS Party. Hi, everybody. It's JS Party. We are back. You are not, your ears are not fooling yourself. We are here. Thank you for the shout outs in the chat room for the amazing rap skills. Um, maybe we should put that in our sound pack and sell it on our future merch store. Adam, just an idea. Uh, we're happy to have you back. You may not recognize my voice. That's because I haven't been on JS Party since episodes negative one, negative two, and zero. I guess if we're, if we're backwards indexing the array, the meet the original hosts, you may remember my voice from then, or you may know me from the change log, but I'm here today to help relaunch JS Party. We are super excited. You may be wondering, where's Alex? Where's Michael? Where's Rachel? Have no fear. They're very much part of the party. But as we get into it, I want to uh, do a little, go a little meta and talk about the show a little bit before we get into the show so we can set some expectations and talk about what this version 2, the second iteration of JS Party, is going to be like, what to expect, where we've been, and kind of where we're headed. So uh, we started JS Party with a cast of three, Alex, Roger, or excuse me, sorry, Michael, Alex Sexton, Michael Rogers, Rachel White, and uh, it was a great show. We put together 19 or 20 awesome episodes, um, but we struggled a little bit near the end with scheduling because we had lots of busy people, and we picked Friday afternoons as the record time, which I think was a bit of a death knell. So uh, instead of pod fading, which is what tends to happen with these kind of things when the schedule falls apart... We decided last August to just put the show on hiatus, regroup, think about what went well, what didn't go well, and uh, design it a little bit differently. So that's what you're listening to now. Um, we have not uh, ex-nade Alex, Michael, and Rachel. They're, as I said, they're part of the show. But we did what you do when you're trying to throw a party every week and you know you have a hard time getting people to show up is you just invite more people. And so that's what we've done. So we've actually expanded our panel, and we're super excited to have 10 regular panelists now instead of three. We think this will very much help us to stay consistent with the show and bring you awesome content uh, and a community party about JavaScript and the web every single week. And so in addition to Alex, Michael, and Rachel, who are very much on the panel still, and you'll hear them in upcoming episodes. In fact, Rachel will be on next week. Michael had a baby recently, so he'll be gone for a little while. And Alex also waiting in the wings. We've also added added Suze Hinton, Faras DJ, Kevin Ball, Michael Jackson of the React Podcast, which is a changelog partner podcast, as well as today's list of panelists, which I'll introduce now. We have Safia Abdallah, which you may know as Captain Safia on the internet. We have Chris Hiller, aka Bone Skull, and we have Nick Nisi, aka Nick. Nisi, 
Nick, we're going to work on your nickname, buddy. So, Sophia, Chris, Nick, say hi. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hello. So, we're excited to have you guys here today. We want to get to know the new panelists a little bit, but we don't want to go through a pure tell us your life story because we only have three segments here. So, uh, the way we're going to do that is we're going to instead introduce uh, you three to us by way of your relationship with JavaScript and with the web. And so this first segment I have roughly titled, What Do We Love About JS? And I just for now realizing those are also my initials, but please, please don't tell me what you love about me. Let's focus on JS, the JavaScript party. Although, uh, I guess somewhat uh, humorous side story, my kids think that JS party is like Jared Santo party. So I haven't, I haven't broken it to him. Um, but we're going to have a round robin style conversation about what we love about JS. I will start. And I will just say that um, I'm very much punching my imposter syndrome in the face by coming on a JavaScript show because I have a, a dirty little secret, which is that I don't really love JavaScript, the language. Never really have. But what I do love about it is its ubiquity, uh, how much you can get done, and all of the different things that it enables. I'm a huge lover of the web and the web platform. And I love that JavaScript fits into that awesome triad of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript that makes up the web. And so I love that about it. I de definitely treat it like a layer cake, and I prefer to sprinkle my JavaScript on top. But uh, that's me. Let's hear from Safia. What is it about JS, the web, uh, what have you, that, uh, that you love about it? Yeah, I think my passion for JavaScript intersects a little bit with some of the things that you mentioned about liking the ubiquity and usability of the language. Um, I do like a lot of the innovations with respect to the things that are happening with the actual like grammar and language functionality that are coming out in ES6 and some of the things that TC39 is proposing. But my biggest interest um, in JavaScript is the community and how open everything is, especially because over the past couple of months on my blog, I've been regularly writing about um, what I call the code reading rainbow series. And it's where I read open source project code and try and dissect how it came about and what it does and learn a little bit more about it by actually reading the code. And I think it's so wonderful that Mostly everything on NPM is open source, and you can go and take a look into how the tools that you use every day um, work, and that that's available to you is so fantastic and wonderful. So the openness is a big factor for me. Very cool. And we should say, I, I first met Safia about a year ago at OSCON in, what was that, in Austin? And uh, yes. at the time, you had released a bunch of NPM modules, specifically a lot of command line tools. Um, that were very much uh, popular amongst developers. And ever since then, I've been following your blog and you, you write quite prolifically. I can barely read them as fast as you can put them out. How do you, how do you get that done? <laughs> um, I've just been trying to get myself into a habit of committing to things and building a lifestyle around consistency. Um, so one of the big things that I wanted to do was to become a better writer and start holding myself accountable to publishing blog posts three times a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And so it's part me hoping to like learn new things and expand my knowledge as a developer, part me trying to like become more disciplined and committed to a particular project, and then part wanting to become a better writer. And I have a lot of people who 
have asked me about how I've been doing the blogging thing over the past couple of months. And I think I might probably just write a blog about that um, and share it out next week or something. So stay on the lookout for that. Very cool. All right, Chris, let's pitch it over to you. Uh, you've been a longtime maintainer of the Mocha library. Tell us about JavaScript and you. I started off in JavaScript. Um, I was doing a lot of Python at the time. Um, and this is when, you know, jQuery was getting really big and, um, you know, everybody wanted to, to add jQuery to their, to their uh, sites and their apps. And so I was working on web apps and pretty complicated ones. Um, but... Uh, you know, working in Python so much, I, I started to kind of really appreciate, um, you know, Python puts a lot of kind of uh, constraints on, on how you write your code. Uh, I felt like JavaScript was, was much more expressive, but um, what I really liked about it was, was maybe the same reason a lot of people don't like JavaScript. And that's because, you know, it, it doesn't have much of a standard library or it, it doesn't really right. have one at all. Um, it means it's, it's actually, it was kind of easy to, or at least not, not as tedious to, to, to learn just about all there was to, to learn. I mean, outside of, um, you know, browser APIs at the, you know, at the time. Um, but it, it, Python, on the other hand, it has such a st huge standard library. It was kind of overwhelming to me, and I could never really feel like I had, um, you know, become an expert or, 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 or mastered Python simply because I hadn't touched, you know, a, a great portion of mm -hmm. the standard library. Um, so that's that's kind of how I, how I how I came to JavaScript and what I really like about it. And um, you know, I was I was writing, you know apps for, for the web for, for quite a while. Um, I got heavily into Angular. Uh, this was, you know, Angular 1, Angular 0 0.9, or, or what have you. And um, I, I started to have a lot of fun at that, but eventually I kind of burnt out on, on, on that sort of thing and, and just really wanted to focus on Node. I, I just love what... what I love Node, um, uh, you know, working with... Uh, Mocha is is a project that you know it's it, it, a lot of people use it for web, but you know it's originally and primarily for um, testing Node, and you know I I just uh, yeah it, it is Node is just so much fun to write, um, and so yeah, JavaScript. Very good. I think it's interesting your statement about JavaScript being relatively small in, ter in terms of the breadth of the language. Like you said, the standard library is very much lacking. Uh, I came to JavaScript from a Perl and then Ruby and a, a little bit of a Python background, um, as well as just learning like, you know, that I hated C and C++ at the time. <laughs> like I learned that and I was like, okay, not that. Um, and I actually had the opposite re reaction, whereas you thought, oh, this is great. I can actually master this. A lot of people like that about Go, where Go is very easy to learn in terms of the breadth or the scope of the language proper. Um, I was looking for the batteries. Like I wanted all those. I, I would routinely get frustrated because of the lack of the things that I'm used to in a standard library. So it's just interesting that we have both found the same thing but reacted kind of viscerally in different directions. Mm -hmm. But a uh, big fan of Mocha, so thank you for all your work on that over the years. And uh, we should say Chris was on 
Request for commits. Somebody in the chat, get us the episode number. We'll include in the show notes a great episode all about sustainability and Mocha and the softer side of open source. That is definitely a must listen. So go back and check that out. All right, Nick, let's turn to you. Uh, I can introduce you, Nick, probably pretty well because we've actually known each other for a long time as uh, co-organizers of the Nebraska JavaScript Conference, NEJS Conf, which, by the way, the CFP is still open on that, but closing soon. Um, and you're a, you're a, there we go, RFC 15. Thank you, chat room. So check that out if you want to listen to Chris talk about the softer side of Mocha. Um, but Nick, fellow Omahaan, fellow JavaScript person, co-organizer of Conf. I actually don't even know uh, your story with regards to JavaScript. So let's hear sure. it. Sure. Uh, so I came to the language uh, pretty pretty uh, soon after college. Uh, my first real job uh, was writing Java, but it was not uh, not very fun at all. It didn't make me like Java at all. So I was looking for something else to do, and uh, nobody else on the project really wanted to do anything with the front end, but they they really wanted this custom rich text editor, uh, but an inline rich text editor. So it was basically like an, an input field uh, that you could put rich text in. And so I started off with prototype JS and kind of learning that, playing around with it and and getting it working, and then eventually porting it over to jQuery. Uh, and I liked that a lot more than Java, so I stuck with it and just grew to really like the language. Uh, started attending a lot of meetups um, in Omaha and uh, on JavaScript and dynamic languages and uh, just really kept learning. I think uh, what Chris was saying about it being short and or a small language that you can you can really wrap your head around. Uh, I think that was one big appeal to me um, to to stick with it. And then why I love it, uh, kind of following along the same lines as uh, Safia and you, Jared, with its ubiquity. I think that it's great that if you're working on a project that touches the web, it probably has JavaScript in there somewhere, uh, which means that it's kind of the unifying language in a lot of ways. Uh, and that also means that uh, developers who primarily develop in other languages get to bring their experience and their methodologies to this language, uh, which, better or worse, um, I think improves the language. And so it, it brings a lot of different ideas. And yeah, I also think that it's uh, an approachable language for uh, teaching people to code. Let's emphasize the effect of jQuery. Chris, I see you put in the chat that you want to mention jQuery's API. And I think most people would agree that prior to jQuery, I'm not even sure the years involved here, but maybe like 03, 04, when did jQuery become uh, prominent? But prior to that, JavaScript really did suck. I mean, there wasn't much to like about it, mostly because, not because of the language, which hadn't really changed in a long time, but because of the, the DOM APIs were so... Uh, difficult to, to use. So jQuery very much, I think, moved JavaScript to a place where it was lovable finally. Yeah. You guys agree? It was really born in yeah. the pre-ES5 days, which was nice. Uh, so it really helped with, with ES3 and the awkwardness of, of that version. Yeah, I, I really liked using, I mean, it's uh, the, the Fluent API. Coming from Python, there was no sort of... of API in Python like that. I'd never seen anything like that. Mm. That was completely new. That was probably completely new for a lot of people. And um, 
I just thought it was awesome. I think I came into JavaScript client side JavaScript probably a little bit later than everybody else since I'm younger. So I was definitely part of that generation that, you know, at the beginning grew up thinking that jQuery and JavaScript were pretty much the same thing because at that point it's mm. such a stronghold on client side JavaScript development in general. I remember when I first started to actually, you know, write DOM manipulating code in vanilla JavaScript. I was like, what is going on here? This is so different and, and clunkier. Um, so yeah, the API was so attractive that I think it definitely drew a lot of people who otherwise would have been deterred by the vanilla API for interacting with the DOM into JavaScript and then kind of like provided a, a smooth place to take off from into other parts of the language. Yeah, and just to emphasize the learnability side of it real quick, the uh, the fact is is that the industry has very much moved beyond you know, jQuery as standard because a lot of the reason is because the the browsers have you know made those APIs better, you know Query Selector all and what have you. Um, a lot of the quirks have been worked out, and there's other ways of building you know production scale applications. But when it comes to teaching, we still have been very involved in introducing you know people to the web and building for the web. And we still use jQuery and teach it just because uh, at that point, it doesn't matter like what's JavaScript and what's jQuery. It's getting people to realize like how manipulable the web is and how jQuery's API focusing on the CSS selectors as uh, you know the way of getting into it. Well, you're already teaching them CSS, right? So they're learning CSS selectors, and now let's use CSS selectors to grab elements and manipulate them very easily by calling you know, one-word functions. There's really still no more powerful way to get somebody excited about learning JavaScript in the web than just show them what jQuery can do. Yeah, that's a great point. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors in minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises, and most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Next, let's look uh, at a specific project. It's always fun to uh, find specific projects out there, especially ones that have uh, general purpose use or maybe even a certain level of depth or provide, you know, the things they're providing uh, are impressive and tease it apart a little bit. Take a look at it, talk about its pros and its cons. And uh, there's so many projects in the JavaScript space that it's very difficult <laughs> to even keep up with them. Um, but we found a project this week, which I think hit changelog news, maybe it was last week, but was one of the more popular, uh, things that we logged on changelog news, which is called tabler. And, uh, we'll pass a link to tabler into the chat so everybody can check it out. But it is, uh, it deems itself an admin panel made simple. And so it very much fits into the, uh, category of, you know, providing, different widgets and components for people to use when they're building dashboards, admins, what have you. Um, this one has a whole bunch of stuff in it, 
which was impressive to me. Um, it's built on top of Bootstrap 4, which I think is the most recent Bootstrap that was just recently released, but I don't follow Bootstrap super close. Yeah, it is. So I could be wrong on that. It is. Mm -hmm. And I think they called that Bootstrap 4 because it took four years to write. Isn't that the case? Oh, I'm not sure about that. I just know it's it's the newest one and it kind of took a while to get there. Yeah, that was a little bit of a joke, but oh, okay. uh, I, I don't think it took four years, but uh, I think it definitely was notoriously long development uh, between three and four. And so this is on the latest bootstrap. And uh, yeah, let's just open up the conversation around Tabler. If you're listening, you know, click through the show notes, have a look at it. And uh, I'd like to ask the panel, what do y'all think about this project? Pros, cons? Would you use it? What have you? So it does look interesting. I'm looking through some of the components that it provides and some of them do feel like they would be part of just like a standard user interface or UI framework. Um, so they've got things like alerts, which are part of Bootstrap just standardly um, and avatars, which I think you can do with Bootstrap pretty easily. Maybe I'm wrong about that um, and tags and things like that. So I think some of it might be UI components that you could get elsewhere pretty easily. Um, but I think the fact that it's focused on admin panels is interesting because I tend to think that sometimes when a project, even if some of its functionality overlaps with another project, if it's if the context it's written in is aimed at a certain problem, then it becomes a little easier to use it to tackle that problem than other projects. That's interesting. I didn't even consider the fact that since it's built on Bootstrap, there's the big maybe the big question up front is what is this ad in addition to Bootstrap, right? Like where where why wouldn't I just use Bootstrap directly and kind of you know cobble together what I want? Although cobble has a kind of a bad connotation, <laughs> but put together the pieces the way I would like them to versus reaching for something that sits on top. Um, so that's an interesting point. I didn't think from that perspective. Yeah, I so I'm not a huge Bootstrap user, so I think I was having the same issue with uh, understanding the separation between what Bootstrap provides and what this uh, provides on top of it. Uh, and I was digging through the source code a little bit, and um, like it definitely looks nice um, and is something yeah. I would definitely take inspiration to. I think that in in the past when I've had to work on things like admin panels. Um, I was either using stuff that was already available in the project that I was coming on to or uh, developing something specifically uh, for that project and probably ended up duplicating some of the things that, that this would have provided uh, just because I didn't really know about it. Um, but it is interesting. Uh, I guess one thing that I'd be looking at is uh, how it would fit in with the the rest of the code that I'm, I'm using. So I like mm -hmm. it uses looking at the, the head, um, it's bringing in require.js, uh, and it's all of the, the small JavaScript files that it has are written in AMD, uh, JavaScript. So just kind of thinking about that, thinking about how I would integrate it in with uh, a larger code base. Yeah, good points. Chris, what about you? Did you take a look at this and have, have thoughts? I kind of have similar concerns, like just, um, you know, I, I used bootstrap three. It's, it's been a while since I've touched bootstrap, but you know, as I recall, there there are basically two two parts, and I don't know if that's still true. But there's the JavaScript part and the CSS part. Um, you you probably want the CSS part if you're using Bootstrap, and the JavaScript part is, you know, people will um, write their own 
implementation to work with the CSS in, in whatever framework um, that people tend to use. And so, you know, does this want, um, you know, you to use Bootstrap's JavaScript? Uh, are there adapters for frameworks or how does that work? Um, you know, is this better suited to a more, um, you know, server-side uh, mm -hmm. rendered app? Yeah, but, you know, definitely, like, if, if I'm going to write or build a dashboard, I'll, I'll definitely take yeah. a closer look at this. So that kind of opens up two larger questions that I often have for people or even for myself. When you see something built on Bootstrap or, you know, even just insert a UI framework here, make, take Bootstrap out of it specifically, but say built on X, where X is a, you know, Bootstrap or a foundation or a semantic UI or a what have you. There's probably more. I just can't think of them. Is that a selling point for y'all or is that actually like, ooh? I think it depends. Uh, some people do use Bootstrap and Foundation and they're really good at using those tools effectively and introducing some aspect of their product's brand to it. But there are some where it's definitely easy to tell that although they used the tools to help speed up the development process, they didn't extend upon them. Um, like, in my opinion, they should be used as like starting points and they should be customized. Like I think the great thing about Bootstrap is they have a page where before you download the CSS and JavaScript assets, you can configure things like the fonts you wanna use and the colors and stuff like that. And that's a great way to like add your own brand identity to the standard framework, but so many people don't do that, so it doesn't look very original. Um, uh -huh. So yeah, I think it depends on how you execute it and how you like leverage the flexibility of the tools. I, I agree. I think it would be, you know, when, when I've tried to throw Bootstrap onto an app, it has not, you know, not been easy. Um, but starting... With, with bootstrap um yeah that's that's the way to go and i wonder how uh true that will remain in the future with with things like css grid um I, that's like the primary use case of of bootstrap for me in the past right um i wonder how how um prevalent it will be in the future with that but i think that they could def definitely adopt you know css grid into into the product and, and then enhance it in some way look at the components they have maps icons they have a, a blog which I think to me is a big component. I would think of a maybe the individual posts inside of a blog or kind of these little cards that look somewhat like Pinterest. Um, when I see the word components, I think is, isn't being able to just like wrap, maybe I just want to grab like specifically their map component and just insert it into what I have going without any other futs and mutts, like right, worrying about you know, namespace conflicts or blah, blah, blah. Isn't that, hasn't that been somewhat of the promise of web components? Um, and does anybody know the state of web components? I'm, I'm very ignorant in the space, but I'm just thinking like, wouldn't these be nicer if I could just grab a single one and throw it into my website versus buying into the tabler stuff? Yeah. I was thinking the, the same thing that it would be um, more useful in the apps that I typically write if it were if I could pick and choose, uh, and it was as easy as just dropping in a custom element uh, and using that, um, I'm not sure of the the state of of web components though. I haven't uh, been playing with them too much yet. I think that's a common <laughs> What's the question. The state of web components, yeah. <laughs> 
I knew we had a, a JS party about web components, but uh, that was a year ago. So a lot changes uh, in time. And sometimes a lot doesn't change, but we, we hope it does. Okay, last question on this front. So we've talked about kind of the, the UI framework. Um, and definitely this is garnered towards admins and dashboards. So uh, aside from this particular project, uh, I guess two-part question would be, first part is, do you all build admins like on the regular or is that something that, you know, for your job or your interest, it's not something you do very often? And then, you know, part B would be, if you do build admins, what's your usual go-to? How do you how do you build them out? Um, and would this change that at all? Yeah, I'm currently having to build what I guess would be considered an admin panel on Zarf, which is a side broad project that I've been working on building out. Tell everybody about Zarf real quick. Oh, um, Zarf is basically a content marketplace for short form work. So it's stuff that takes you 30 minutes to two hours to read. Um, and it's generally produced by award-winning or experienced writers in the fiction and nonfiction space. And I've been working on building it out uh, for a little bit. And one of the big things is that writers on the platform sell their work since it's a marketplace. And the admin panel, in my case, is the interface that writers would go to to figure out, you know, how many posts did um, I sell this month? How much money did I make? All of that stuff. And one of the things that actually made me nervous when we went, um, or when I went to the Tabler uh, dashboard example they have, and I understand that it's a demo and the purpose is to show all of the different things that you can do with Tabler. Right. But oftentimes, and I seen this in a couple of products, admin panels quickly get way out of hand. Um, like I think, you know, it starts off displaying the key metrics that matter to the administrator or um, like privileged user of the product that you're selling. And then it just like the scope expands and you've got this like really messy panel with lots of information on it. And, you know, people only look at one part of it and you build out this UI that isn't really useful. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm trying to like be conscious yeah. about as I'm working on redesigning the panel is what is it that people exactly need that should be up front and center? And what can I like hide away behind a couple of pages? Um, so it doesn't turn out to be like just a total mess and overwhelms the user. The kitchen sink. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of that, that line from Jurassic Park where, you know, the scientists were too busy asking whether they could, and then they didn't ask themselves whether they should. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's kind of us with dashboards. We're like, well, look what I can do with all these widgets. And we just throw together, you know, this craziness. And it's like, is this, is this useful? <laughs> yeah. Dashboards are everybody's uh, weak spot. <laughs> right. Uh, they're so pretty. They are. So in, in terms of tooling for your admin, uh, do you just write everything yourself or do you use any sort of stock stuff? I don't. So what I settled on as the basic minimum requirement that writers would need to know about is a table sorted uh, chronologically by time on a monthly basis. And it just shows a column for how much they sold, how much they uh, earned in revenue, and then how much their cut was after those sales. Um, and that's worked so far. I haven't had anybody complain too much about it, but I am looking to change that experience. Um, so in that case, I'm mm -hmm. using, for the entire interface, I'm using another, I guess, CSS toolkit called Tachyons, um, mm. which is way lighter than uh, 
bootstrap or foundation. It doesn't have, it, it's, it's got a different style to it. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, so I'm not doing anything fancy with the dashboard. And I think that's almost fine. Like one of the big reasons that writers when I talk to them are going to the dashboard anyway, is they come with a question that's like, how much money did I make this month? What should I expect in my bank account? And that's what they want to be able to get um, really quickly. And then everything else is kind of a nice to have, but not totally necessary. So I've deprioritized it. Keep it simple. Yeah. Nick and Chris. Yeah. I, um, I end up working on a lot of client work and with that, uh, it, they either have these well thought out designs that I'm implementing, uh, in a, an environment where they already have dependencies and I don't really bring in, uh, a whole lot of my own stuff. So it's kind of writing from, from scratch in a lot of ways sometimes, uh, or they have their own, um, like their own component library that they've built out. Uh, and we, we tend to use that. Uh, and that might be in some cases built on, uh, bootstrap or other things. So this is definitely, um, inspiring, but I don't know, um, how much it would be used by clients that I typically work with. I'm not uh, working uh, in the web much anymore, um, but you know I I do collect some numeric metrics. Like I, I do this home mm-hmm. automation stuff and have lots of numbers. Um, there's a, an app called uh, Grafana, which um, basically it's it's a tool for creating dashboards out of numeric you know time series data and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, it would seem to me that there has to be something out there that uh, works kind of like Grafana, where they give you all these components, um, you know, and then you, all you have to do is, is plug in the data, and then the user can actually go in and design what, what you know, widgets appear on, on the dashboard. You don't have to actually, um, you know, it's not static. It's like, you know, maybe you could set up a, a default widget, you know, default set of widgets that, that a new user would see. And then they can go and say, Oh, I'm going to create my own. I mean, I've seen a lot of systems like that. I don't, I don't know if there's like a good one that, um, you know, is, is kind of general purpose. Grafana isn't, I mean, it can't be used for something like this, uh, simply because it only works with numbers, um, pretty much. So it's kind of awkward to do anything else. Cool. Let's wrap up by just saying uh, thanks to, I believe, he's CodeCalm on Twitter for putting Tabler out there uh, for people to use and enjoy if that's something that will suit them. Uh, He dubs it a premium and open source dashboard template with responsive and high quality UI. And then he emphasizes for free, uh, which we all love that side of open source as well. So check out Tabler if you haven't, and uh, we'll call that a wrap. Hey everyone, I'm Tim Smith, senior producer here at Changelog. You know how important it is to stay in the know. And our weekly newsletter helps you and thousands of other developers do exactly that. It's the developer news that matters, nothing more and nothing less. Visit changelog.com and subscribe today. For segment three today, we are going to give some shout outs. These are kind of like your traditional picks. 
um, except for they can focus on a person. It could be a project. It could be anything that you think deserves it. And we're not limiting ourselves to one. And I think uh, that's good because I'm looking at our list and it looks like y'all had a bunch of them. So this will be this will be good. Uh, let's start with Safia. Who would you like to give a shout out to in the show? Sure. So I want to give a shout out to a person and then a project. Uh, the person I want to give a shout out to, my shout out actually long overdue. Uh, his name is Jeremiah. His handle is fishrock123 on Twitter. And I think GitHub as well. A couple months back, I was doing a series on my blog where I read parts of the Node code base and tried to answer questions about how like built-in modules are registered, how the main process is initialized, how different modules work. And Jeremiah did a really wonderful job of providing feedback on where I misunderstood some things and helped me make my blog posts more accurate. So shout out to him for that. The second is a project that I discovered recently that is going to be super helpful if you're working with React and Elasticsearch. It's a project called Reactive Search, which is a good name for it. Uh, and it's basically mm. a set of React UI components that allow you to configure um, search bars, category filters, uh, range filters, and paginated paginated result pages uh, for data that you have indexed on Elasticsearch. So super useful for that, really well documented and lots of great examples. So shout out to those two. Very cool. Nick? Uh, yeah, I have two projects, uh, both kind of related to GitHub. Uh, the first is Octotree um, under GitHub user BooWin, I think might be how you pronounce it. Um, but it's it just adds a file drawer to GitHub while you're searching, while you're looking at projects so that you can quickly uh, look at what files are in there, quickly navigate to files. Uh, it's, it's just really pleasant. And it works in Chrome, Firefox, uh, and Safari. Um, and then the other project, kind of in the uh, GitHub theme, is Octobox. And uh, I don't like that when you automatically get subscribed to, or when somebody adds you to a project, you automatically get subscribed to it and you get just bombarded with GitHub emails for that project. Uh, so I've filtered all of the, the GitHub emails out of my inbox, and instead I use this project Octobox, which is kind of a dashboard, uh, also to tie it back to our previous segment, um, so that I can just see what uh, notifications I'm getting on all the different projects. I can filter by the projects that I'm subscribed to and uh, just handle those notifications uh, in a much more friendly way than, than just blowing up my inbox. Good stuff. Big fan of Octobox. Had never heard of Octotree, so that's very, very cool. All right, Chris, you're up. Yeah, my uh, my shoutouts are also GitHub related. So I, I spent I don't think I use any website more than I use GitHub. And so um, my GitHub is really tricked out because I installed a bunch of extensions nice. and stuff. And so there is a user on GitHub, um, uh, Motti, M-O-T-T-I-E. I don't know this person, but uh, they made a, a user style. If you're uh, familiar with uh, user styles, there's like um, extensions um, you can install for your browser. Um, one of them is Stylish, one of them is Stylist, there might be more, that allow you to apply um, you know, and share uh, custom CSS um, that will overlay uh, popular websites. And so um, there's one called GitHub Dark, and it's like a dark theme for GitHub, and it's really awesome. Uh, it, it 
you know, he's always on top of this thing. So whenever GitHub changes any UI component, like the same day, he's gonna he's gonna make sure it looks right in the script or in the in the style. And there's also an, uh, an associated uh, user script called GitHub Dark Script. And so what that is is basically extra configuration and um, and settings for GitHub Dark. And you can do all sorts of cool things like change your background or change your uh, syntax highlighting. Um, and that is actually um, a, a user script. And uh, like like uh, stylish and, and, and user styles and, and that sort of thing, these are Grease Monkey and Tamper Monkey mm. extensions. You may have heard of that. Maybe uh, so. Uh, Grease Monkey is originally a Mozilla yeah. plugin. Um, Tamper Monkey is the Chrome uh, analog, and so uh, GitHub Dark Script works with that. And you load the extension, and then you can put whatever user script you want in it. There's GitHub Dark Scripts. There's uh, extra user scripts that do all sorts of I don't know, just just little tweaks, kind of like um, you know uh, the GitHub Refined. Chrome extension, and I know a lot of people really like that extension. I do too. The cool thing is that GitHub Dark works with GitHub Refined, and that's all styled as well, um, and so it looks great. And so does Octotree. Uh, Octotree is also has a dark style, and so yeah, awesome, awesome work. Very cool. Well, before I get into my shout outs, I have to say that I'm, I'm over here with like a grin ear to ear because one of the things that we do. Uh, at Changelog is we do Changelog news and we do podcasts. And our news is all about what's fresh and new, covering projects, linking up interesting things, uh, you know, linking to Safia's blog like once a week probably, <laughs> uh, stuff like that. So uh, this is like a little bit of our job, what we do. And so I'm like over here basically saving draft posts as you guys point me to interesting things. So you'll probably be seeing these featured on, on Changelog news. It's like I'm I'm cheating at life right now. These are These are awesome picks. So very good. By the way, if you don't subscribe to Changelog News, uh, check us out, changelog.com. You'll see the news feed right there. We, you can subscribe via email, RSS. You can follow us on Twitter. It all funnels out. You can even follow us on micro.blog, which you may have never even heard of, but you can follow us there. So check that out. Let's get into my shout out. So I'm shouting out two people. One of them is a person slash project. So I want to give a shout out and a big thank you to Jack Lukic. I can't remember that that's how you say his last name. We've had him on the changelog before. And I think I actually gave him a shout out when I guest hosted on GoTime during their free software Friday portion, which is very similar. Uh, Jack is a guy who was the original creator of Semantic UI. So I thought it was appropriate with our admin and UI template conversation uh, around Tabler because we use Semantic UI for our admin uh, here at changelog. And also I use it on a bunch of client projects um, it's been a tool in my toolkit for years and I very much appreciate it. It's helped me make lots of money over the years. It's helped me build things fast. And this is a project that I think has helped so many people. It's amazing. Over 40,000 stars on GitHub, like four, over 4,000 forks. And it's very much been kind of a, a project headed up by a single person that has been through different states of activity. And it's been interesting to watch Jack manage the issues, which have climbed up to almost 600 now. He has 69 open pull requests. So you can see how maybe he's even a little bit drowning uh, <laughs> under the weight of it all. Um, and I've kept up with Jack over the years, and he's been trying to find different ways of sustainability and what have you. And so I just like to mention him when we have a chance to shout out people as somebody who has helped me a lot in, in my life 
and I think has helped a whole lot of other people as well. So shout out to Jack. The second shout out from me is to another person. This uh, is Alexandru Mayer, which you probably haven't heard of. Uh, Alexander or Alexandru, I can remember how, remember how he pronounces it, tirelessly transcribes our podcast. So this very show right here, in fact, Alexander, you may be transcribing this in a few weeks. Hi, thank you for all your hard work. Uh, you make our transcripts awesome. So each one of our episodes gets transcribed and he writes it in Markdown, puts it up on GitHub, and then we suck them into the website from there so they can be contributed uh, to by the community on GitHub. And we have, I think over 30 people have gone in and fixed things up, add links, uh, help Alexander out. But he does a really awesome job, especially around jargon. Um, he's not a technical person necessarily in the, in the sense technical, like developer technical. But when he hears a word that he doesn't understand, he actually goes and looks it up and gets the proper nouns right and figures out the jargon and does a really great job. And that's why we love working with him, and that's why we still do not let computers do our transcriptions yet. Um, eventually, Alexander, they may, they may catch up with you, but not yet. So shout out to you, and thank you for all your hard work. Okay, anything else before we wrap this show up? Anybody have a, uh, anything they would like to plug or a thought they would like to share with the JavaScript community? Uh, nothing but that I'm super excited that this is back and that I get to be a part of it and really interested to see what conversations happen over the next couple of months and what things are shared. Yeah, in that regard, I want to talk a little bit about what's coming down the road and what we want the show to be because this is very much a, a relaunch and we it's not yet what we want it to be. We've always set out to build a, a, a place where we can all come together and discuss and have fun and really what we say is celebrate JavaScript and the web and the community around it. And so uh, we're doing our best to provide that. We have switched days. So if you're listening to this recorded from the feed, we now record Thursdays at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, which is 10 a.m. Pacific, I believe. I always have to check every time zone because I can never remember. But basically on Thursdays, lunch hour in the U.S., and uh, we make it live. So come to changelog.com slash live. Come hang out in our Slack. We want to this to be a conversation and not just amongst those of us here with microphones. So uh, we also have a place for you to sound off and tell us what you want to hear on this show. And so you can do that in a few ways. First of all, we have a ping repo on GitHub, which lives at github.com slash the changelog slash ping. And you can open an issue there. We have a JS party label, so you can let us know that this suggestion or feedback or show idea is about JS party and tell us what you want to hear because it's our goal to bring three segments to you every single week and we don't really care what goes in that segment. So it doesn't have to be the same thing every week. We want it to be conversations that we all want to have. So please let us know what you would like to hear. You can also uh, hit us up on Twitter at JS party FM and you can follow all of our awesome panelists. Like I said, there it will be a group of 10. And we hope to create a cheers-like environment. If anybody remembers that show where everybody knows your name and there's regulars and it's not always the same people that are at the bar, but it's always people that you like and always people who are uplifting and always people that have strong opinions and expertise about JavaScript. And that's what we're trying to do. So uh, if you haven't yet, go to changelog.com slash JSParty. You'll see the avatars of all of our panelists. You can click on those, follow them on Twitter, engage with them. Also follow JSParty FM. And please tell a friend 
and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks. All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. Read us an Apple podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things right here at ChangeLaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLaw. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLaw.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you.